Welcome to Books Are Scary, a horror literature podcast. My name's Allie. I'm Emmy. And today we are talking about The Machine Stops by E.M. Forster. And to celebrate this episode, which is Em's favorite story, uh, we decided to pull out our little liquor bottles and make some machineritas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Em, what's it made of? Uh, so it's made of tequila, which was part of the recipe. But then we didn't have any simple syrup. So we just kind of threw an ice cube in, not an ice cube, a sugar cube in. <laughs> and we didn't have any lime juice. So we threw in a lemon. <laughs> and then we had orange liquor, which was part of the recipe. And we just kind of did the shaker and I garnished it with a little bit of a lemon wedge. And it's awful. <laughs> I've tried so hard. I, I did. I just don't like tequila. I don't. It's <laughs> the machinerita has stopped working for me. <laughs> <sighs> it's as strong as the machine is is it (laughs) it? i think once we talk about the story a little bit more we're gonna find out that it probably isn't that strong well then let's just jump into it then (laughs) em would you like to give us our 30 second summary yeah of course you have a timer ready i'll set one now all right tell me when to go ready set go so the story is about a mother and a son who lived in this dystopia under earth and the son is like, hey, I want to be rebellious. I want to work against the system. And the mom's like, no, don't do it. And they have like an ad odds relationship. And we learn kind of about the ideologies and the methods of the machine. But then out of nowhere, the machine starts like breaking down. And it's kind of like, why is this happening? And we learn more about the relationships and the local color of this story. And then everything falls apart. Good job. <laughs> things fall apart <laughs> like machines I tried society. yeah I tried too hard to get into the detail and I was like no we're gonna talk about this in the episode <laughs> you did good that was a good analysis thank you well if you don't mind I'm gonna go ahead and go into the bio do it so Ian Forster was born in London in 1879 his father died when he was a baby so he was raised by his mother and paternal aunts The two families were very different. So Forster had conflicting ideologies being thrown at him with his father's side, desiring strong evangelical teachings with a high sense of morality and responsibility versus his mother's more carefree approach. This affected his writing, being raised by women and his ability to utilize his writing as a social commentary on society. So he went to Cambridge where he first discovered his love for writing He really liked to criticize the Victorian rules of past and wrote about feminism, paganism, and classicism, specifically focusing on the middle class. He wrote some short stories and novels before the machine stops, like Howard's Inn, In a Room with a View, for example. However, this is one of the first examples of science fiction in dystopian literature. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, Em, can you tell us just what is the machine? So the machine is a man-made utopia that's under the Earth's surface. And it has its own community and rules and even a religion eventually. Uh, It has, I mean, it is not dedicated to one person. There's not like a group of people that the reader can specifically identify as the antagonist or associate with the machine. We do have the committee, air quote, (laughs) but they're just a liaison between the people and the functioning of the structure. Mm -hmm. So, I don't really know what else to compare it to, but they just kind of live in their own world. Mm -hmm. And supposedly there's no life on earth, but I mean, that's what they're raised to think and taught to think. 
which we kind of learn later in the story that that might not be true. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's kind of it. It's the functioning of their society. It's like if the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles went really high tech and dystopian. Are you telling me that they're not already high tech? <laughs> Higher tech. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've seen the new Megan Fox version one. Very high tech and very not liked. <laughs> Megan Fox is the machine. Oh my gosh, no. (laughs) Anyway. So yeah, to kind of bounce off of that, I wanted to talk some about these symbols that are in the machine stops um, because I feel like they kind of reinforce some of the things that you've uh, explained were the machine and what made up the machine. So one of which is the book. So the book is kind of like a guide slash manual slash Bible for how to react in this world of the machine. And it also lists functions, history of the machine, that kind of thing. So it kind of varies how people view it. Uh, Like I said, some people view it as like a religious text. Others more as just like a baseline of how to react to things, how to exist. I just want to read a quick quote about the book. This was the book of the machine. In it were instructions against every possible contingency. If she was hot or cold or deceptive or at a loss for a word, she went to the book and it told her which button to press. The Central Committee published it. So that kind of seems like either a manual or Bible-ish, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know if it was fables. It seems more like just like rules and standards and stuff. Yeah? Yeah, almost kind of like a Ten Commandments kind of deal. Like, more solid instruction on, like, what, how to react to certain things. I like how you said manual. I think that's the best description of it. Well, I think it's weird that it's, like, for everything. Yeah. So... What that tells me is that there's not really that much free thinking, Mm -hmm. which I know we're going to touch on in original thoughts a little bit later, but I think this is the first example of like, don't worry about it. We got it handled. Just relax and let us take care of it. Let us control you. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, that forced dependency is really terrifying. And I think that's one of the scarier parts of the book is just how the society is formed based on dependency. God, I think forced dependency is such a huge theme in this book. Yeah, for sure. And the thing is, they don't care. Yeah, they're into it. (laughs) They're like, it's fine. Why ruin something that's good? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'd like to read one more quote about the book. And this one kind of applies it more to the religious outlook of the book and how some people kind of hold it as a religious text. One believer would be chiefly impressed by the blue optic plates through which he sought other believers. Another by the mending apparatus, which sinful Kuno had compared to worms. Another by the lifts, another by the book. And each would pray to this or to that and ask it to intercede for him with the machine as a whole. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So yeah, I think that that part was kind of interesting because it cor- it sort of encourages readers of the book to like take an aspect of the book and kind of make that their framework for ideology. So like some worship the blue hockey plates and others worship the worms that Kuno saw on, on earth. And it's just like different parts of it that sort of get elevated to this religious status. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and you know, this has very culty vibes you know, I mentioned ideologies a couple of times already, and an ideology would be things that you know to be true and that you're not really aware of. Mm-hmm. So these people on the machine believe everything that the machine tells them, the machine will not lie to them. This is built for them to function. And I guess an example 
of an ideology is like if two fish were talking to each other and one fish is like, oh, hey, how's the water today? And the other fish is like, what's water? Because they don't know that they're living in water. Does that make sense? Whoa. Kind of like SpongeBob. And <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring up a cartoon for this to be a Books Are Scary podcast. <laughs> like how there's the discussion of like, how do they shower when they're underwater? Whoa. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, and I mentioned that the cult, because they also have the way that they phrase things to make it more settling. Mm -hmm. Like they don't want people to be worried or anxious or upset. And so they have this thing they call homelessness, which I mean, obviously we we know what homelessness means to us, Mm -hmm. but for them, it means putting someone to death. But if someone said, hey, we're gonna put you to death, that could potentially lead to revolting, that's really uncomfortable. That seems like that would rub people the wrong way. Yeah, it reminds me of like in Harry Potter when instead of saying Voldemort, they'd say like he who shall not be named. It's like a way of keeping like a sort of mental peace about this thing that they are doing that is wrong, that they know is wrong mm-hmm. and making it just like a thing that they don't have to really think about, like more so just, you know, a label that they feel more comfortable with that's more like digestible yeah and so we kind of learn about the ideologies from Vashi and Kuno those are our two main characters Vashi is the mother that's really dedicated to the machine and Kuno is the rebellious type and he's kind of gaining a sense of self which is really discouraged by the machine because they don't really support individuality mm-hmm. And so moving on to our theme of human and nature versus the machine, we kind of see what things Vashi's used to. And this is kind of a standard for the whole of the residents of the machine, which is instant gratification and artificialness. And they never had to leave home for anything. They had tubes that would drop from the ceiling. They had food and water, they can bathe there and they had information at touch of a button. Mm-hmm. And if they wanted alone time, they could isolate themselves, which I thought was an interesting word to choose, a very thoughtful word. And they could travel, but it wasn't really encouraged and it made people very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And this is something we'll probably get into later a little bit more in depth, but the way that they isolate themselves is so interesting because it's so like it's such a sectioned off society and um I don't want to say too much about that because I know we're going to get into that in depth later but um yeah I just found that really interesting so this also kind of relates to how we're living now in this pandemic because everything is so sectioned off and it's obviously like what's kind of needed to be able to function and be able to stay safe Mm -hmm. it's also just a very sectioned off society where it's kind of like the separation between two people who, you know, like through social distancing or through like Zoom calls. And I kind of saw that mirrored some in the beginning whenever Vashti is talking to Kuno over the machine. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's that barrier where their body language kind of gets lost and, you know, you only get like the message. And I think that kind of goes into the efficiency of the machine as well, because everything is very like cut and dry, like what you need. And it gives you answers for the things that you need. And in that kind of like the human nature and the human the needs of human nature kind of get lost yeah and I believe that we were kind of headed this way towards efficiency similar to the machine stops before the pandemic even started Mm -hmm. you know I have plenty of 
friends in my life that dread when I give them a phone call. <laughs> They're like, just text me. I will not answer. <laughs> um, but, you know, using Zoom is practical and it's better for some people. And we use DoorDash and we use Facebook and we're like, hey, you tell us what your ideas are. I can't tell you how many times I've asked my family a question and they're like, why don't you just look it up? You have a phone in your hand right there. You have a thousand dollar computer right there. And I'm like, cause I'm trying to make conversation. <laughs> and so I think that the machine stop is really giving us a peek into the future when we don't have conversations, have face-to-face -face contact or live with a little inconvenience in your life. Yeah. Cause Sometimes it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Mm -hmm. And sometimes whenever we set out to do a goal and we just get it, we don't really either learn anything from it or we don't get that time of peace. We just get that instant gratification. Yeah, like my stepdad is someone who loves doing things in person. Like if he has to go to the mail, like to the post office and mail something, he loves like going up to the register and being like, hey, how are you? I got to mail this, help me out. Like that's his thing. Well, that's just psychotic. <laughs> Rick, I'm kidding. You're, you're one of the favorite step parents. <laughs> yeah. But like, he's someone who loves like direct contact and it's like, since the pandemic, like that kind of stuff is just kind of getting lost. And, you know, it makes me hope that things are going to still have like meaning for being in person and being like face-to-face -face and being able to like contact people directly rather than over Zoom calls or through, you know, drop boxes and DoorDash and things like that. Yeah. And it's weird because like you and I are talking about generational differences, basically. Mm -hmm. Like your stepdad, my dad, who loves to talk to any stranger ever that mm -hmm. he feels he can relate to. Like, oh my God, at dinner, he'll just, hello. That's funny. <laughs> and I'm like, dad, stop. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they love human contact, but millennials and Gen Zers, maybe not as much. We like to party, <laughs> but um, other than that, we like to stay at home, Netflix and chill and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but in the story, we see a different type of generational difference with one following the rules and ideology set out for society and one being questioning, which is kind of weird because I feel like millennials and Gen Z would relate more to Kuno and the older generations may relate to Vashti. Mm -hmm. Not saying that either are wrong, just to clarify. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. Yeah, like it also kind of goes into like a dissonance of like ideology versus like how you're raised versus what you understand. Because like when you think about Gen Z, like we're kind of brought up with technology, like from when we were young. And so it's kind of like a natural progression. Like whenever I started Zoom, like Zooming for classes and things like that it felt like pretty natural going into it. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, there's also things about Gen Z that are really cool too. Like they are really encouraging of standing up for injustice. And that's been something that's kind of like been shown a lot through 2020. And mm -hmm. so it's really kind of a mix of like position and time and like, I don't know, just a distance between those two things and the generations I think is interesting. Yeah. Did that make sense? I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, it did. Okay. But now, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I don't know what I just said. So let's... <laughs> no, be confident. So moving on to spatial identity. I don't know if y'all noticed in the story, but there is a lack of physical touch. And the first time that we see touch is in this very aggravated moment in the airship whenever Vashi is about to fall to the floor 
and the hostess like breaks her fall and she's like how dare you touch me <laughs> like she flips her lid it's mm-hmm. like it is not your place and like Bashi the whole entire time was talking shit about the air hostess yeah. she was like uh she has no manners she's so barbaric probably because she hasn't been in the machine in a long time and I think that kind of references to the fact that whenever you're not under the ideology of the machine, you kind of regress back to how human nature is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so. the way Vashti sees it too is like very much of kind of a hierarchy. Like she considers herself very civilized through the whole story. And she kind of snaps her nose whenever people are uncivilized. So whenever, like whenever Kuno wants to go to Earth, she thinks it's, she thinks it's ridiculous. And um, I think this is something we'll get into a little bit more later, but yeah. That's very clear through her interaction with the host of the airship. Yeah, and, you know, there's a lack of empathy from Vashti, but also kind of from everyone else on the airship, Mm -hmm. because that's how isolation will make people. And that's how they chose to live and serve only themselves without agitation or interference. And whenever we live a way where we don't help other people and we just kind of take care of ourselves we lack a certain humanity Mm -hmm. and I think this is obviously an exaggerated version of it but I mean that could be possible I realized that I did not define spatial identity I'm so sorry spatial identity is how you develop an identity through the space that you're interacting with the space that you're living and kind of how you relate to people in distance Mm -hmm. sorry I apologize (laughs) but moving on Um, I wanted to talk about the structure for spatial identity because there are honeycombs. Like that's literally the first two sentences of the story is that they live in a comb-like structure, which I think is obviously an allusion to hive mind. Mm -hmm. And one thing that really stuck out to me was when Vashi was going to go see Kuno, she talked about how she was scared because she couldn't see past the hallway. Like the hallway had a T. And I was wondering if you thought that that was a technique, a building technique that discouraged people from leaving because they didn't know what was out there. Interesting. I think that definitely could be a reason why, because when you're in the machine, it seems like you have such like built-in resistance to going outside of the machine because that's like your safe zone and you understand it. So Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting whenever you kind of like embed things like architecture and like design of the machine itself and of the like cells that people are inhabiting within it Mm -hmm. to kind of fit that it reminds me of like whenever malls like blast air into your face whenever you enter a store because it's like hey come in here it's cold and you're hot out there it's like hey don't leave here we're building this structure to discourage you from leaving because it's safe here yeah and I wonder I mentioned the lack of individuality and the structure's the same Everybody has the same things. Dashi talked about at some point about, oh, I wish I had a different size bed, but that would be too much of a hassle for the machine to accommodate to everybody. Mm-hmm. So they just have to settle. It's like, whatever. <laughs> I think one of the best parts of the story for me was whenever Kuno was developing a sense of space mm-hmm. because these people had been so isolated from interacting, they forget what some things mean. So Colonel Kuno learns about space near and far and defines the measurement. So I'm gonna go ahead and read a section. I began by walking up and down the platform at the railway outside my room, up and down until I was tired. And so did recapture the meaning of near and far. 
Near is a place to which I can get quickly on my feet, not a place to which the train or the airship will take me quickly. Far is a place to which I cannot get quickly on my feet. The vomitory is far, though I could be there in 38 seconds by 11 summoning the train. Man is the measure. That was my first lesson. Man's feet are the measure for distance. His hands are the measure for ownership. His body is the measure for all that is lovable and desirable and strong. Then I went further. It was then that I called to you for the first time and you would not come. That's such a beautiful passage. <laughs> it is. It's like imagine having to like rediscover these like basic concepts of just like near and far and not having a context for it because like you've never had to go far or like you've never felt like you've had to go far. I don't know. It's just so striking. Yeah. And it's kind of poetic. Yeah, definitely. His body is the measure for all that is lovable and desirable and strong. stop (laughs) yeah so and this isn't the first time that kuno kind of relearns things from the past like he describes the orion constellation Mm -hmm. on like the third or fourth page in the first chapter and so it kind of made me think like is this a collective memory like reaching back because obviously these people in the future don't know what those things are Mm -hmm. but they're a air quote rediscovering it Mm -hmm. And one last very impactful spatial identity moment was the climax of the book when Vashti finds Kuno in the rubble and in the dead people and she touches his face, which is the first time that they connect as mother and son. Like, wow, chills. We love it. I mean, it was horrible because they both died at the end. But <laughs> but it's like, wow, there's closure. Her, his mom accepted her who he is. You were right. I swear to God, if my parents tell me you were right as the last words to me as I'm dying, that would just like chef's kiss. Oh my gosh. <laughs> be like, thank you. I can move on. POV, your mom's watching, listening to this. I know. <laughs> Perfect. Oh man. Well, speaking of mother and son, mother and son relationships, <laughs> um, our next point goes into the dynamic between Vashti and Kuno. And something that we kind of see happen similar in other books, like The Giver, for, for instance, or Brave New World, which I haven't read, but um, I believe also has a similar um, birthing. birthing rule, birthing yeah. law. Um, they're not meant to have like meaningful connections to between like the mother and her offspring. Mm-hmm. So it's given in a rule called P4223274843. I want to say, <laughs> I bet that that P stands for paragraph, and I bet you that's, hold on, let me do the number. Oh. One, two, three. 422,327,483. I think that that's the paragraph, because I bet you this book is massive. It is. Okay. It makes me wonder, like, when they say, oh, yeah, carrying around my book, like, how big is that book? What? The biggest book I've ever carrying? carried was 700 pages, and it was a love story about a ghost. <laughs> Don't judge me. Is that your book? No. <laughs> the book that I wrote was 100 pages long and had a lot of copyright issues. <laughs> I meant like your religious text, but I like that answer better. <laughs> oh, oops. <laughs> Mabby. I love that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyways, so this rule kind of like prohibits relationships between a mother and her child and so it's very much like hey your job as a mother is to give birth and after that you're like 
done. To add to that point, I just remembered Kuno really wanted to be a dad, but he kept on being denied by the committee. And I bet you it's because he was so emotional and rebellious and like broke that rule. Like they probably felt that he couldn't do it. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to propose that thought. I'm going to write a whole essay about it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, another weird rule that kind of tacks on to that last rule of mothers not being able to interact with their children is that babies that are born strong are euthanized because they claim athletic and strong babies would be unhappy without more open space so that their citizens are born and raised weak or maybe even sickly. Yeah, and that was a theory of mine that I just wanted to okay. let you know. <laughs> so sorry. You had that in the notes and I was like, we, we don't tra- remember this. <laughs> yes, sorry, we trade notes sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first couple of lines in the story talks about how sickly Vashti looks. And then they talk about how like how awkward Kuno is because he kind of has a little muscle and how he has to build up walking like five steps. So I'm just saying, I think the machine is keeping them weak on purpose so then they can't revolt. Yeah, I thought like, it was funny whenever <laughs> I thought it was funny whenever like Kuno's training sessions were his and like holding his pillow out for a couple minutes. Yeah, like, you that's got it, me. my guy. <laughs> and also I thought it was funny how they described Bashti because it was like a mass of flesh that was like pale and white, like mold or something like that. And <laughs> the color of mold. It reminded me of like in Doctor Who, there was, that, there was that one creature who was like skin, but like stretched out and it was just a face and it was like moisturizing me. <laughs> that's, that's my mental image of Ashti. Anyway. <laughs> it was very important that I share that. Anyways. But sorry. I know that I really wanted that to be mentioned because I think that emphasizes the dystopian part of the novel is we're controlling relationships, we're we're controlling how strong they are, not just through rations, but through how they can physically appear. Mm -hmm. Like this is this is more than Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Weird dystopian world. Um so yeah, as we look at the relationship between Kuno and Vashti, I think it should be pointed out that Vashti gaslights Kuno a lot. What do you think about the truth? That? <laughs> you know, she does. She's just kind of, you know, smacking down all his ideas and saying, hey, you're being super dumb right now. Are you idiot? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, moron? <laughs> Which, you know, parents do. Mm-hmm. but the way that she was talking to him and not trying to like hear him out or try to be understanding she's just like I'm not putting up with your shit yeah and I feel like that's kind of a dynamic between them because like she has this experience of you know living longer than he has mm-hmm. and all of her life has been committed to the machine <laughs> I've been around the block a few times <laughs> I've been around the machine a few <laughs> heard that quote like every conversation <laughs> sign I feel like this this episode is going to lead to like a conversation with your mom. <laughs> oh my God. Not even who I'm quoting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you should get that part. <laughs> no, it's staying in. Miss Angie, we love you on this podcast. <laughs> um, but speaking of gaslighting. <laughs> so I would like to read the quote that Vashi says right when she gets to Kuno's door. Here I am, I have had the most terrible journey and greatly like ruined the development of my soul. 
It is not worth it, Kuno. It is not worth it. My time is too precious. The sunlight almost touched me and I have met with the rudest people. I can only stop for a few minutes, say what you want to say, and then I must return. And literally this woman took a plane. She took a plane and went above the atmosphere. She's like, Kuno. (laughs) Kuno, you little shit. I came all the way over here. Now what? Oh man. Um, yeah, and she like she has her conversations with Kuno and then they'll have a fight and then she'll be like bummed for five seconds. She's like, oh, let's turn the buttons and the machines back on and we're just gonna chill and completely forget about it. Like she doesn't like the uncomfortable feeling that being at odds with her son. Mm-hmm. Like it's ridiculous. Honestly. And Kuno gets so mad at her but he compromises sometimes. He's like, even if you just want to come over to tell me that I'm wrong, I just want to see you. I don't want to talk to you through the machine. I don't want to filter this interaction. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like the machine is sort of a buffer between them that sort of causes this dissonance. Like I know for me, like having to talk to my parents on the phone isn't the same as like hanging out with them. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. It, it's interesting. I'll say, I love to read people's body language and tone. <laughs> like, it annoys the crap out of my parents. I'm like, are you okay? Your tone's off. <laughs> my favorite is when sometimes you say, your aura seems off. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I can tell. I can tell when someone's, I'm an empath. It's fine. Um, don't quote me. Don't report to my, to my superiors. <laughs> but I am. Bling, bling. Am I spirits? <laughs> I have to repeat the report. Um, I actually wanted to read a quote that sort of reinforces that idea of like physical physical connection being filtered by the machine and what it's like to be unfiltered. You talk as if God had made the machine, cried the other. I believe that you pray to it when you're unhappy. Men made it. Do not forget that. Great men, but men. The machine is much, but it is not everything. I see something like you in this plate, but I do not see you. I hear something like you through the telephone, but I do not hear you. That is why I want you to come. So I would assume that some people wouldn't call that censorship because you can't see their face. But I wonder, would you rather have your words censored? Would you rather have like your body language and your tone changed? I mean, neither, obviously, (laughs) but I mean, can we call this censorship technically? I feel like yes. Yeah. Because, like, okay, me mentioning Zoom for, like, a million times this episode, <laughs> but, like, being on Zoom, like, you, you're kind of denied body language in a lot of ways, and it makes it really hard to communicate with people because you're going based on their words and based on their tone, mm-hmm. and so it makes it really difficult to communicate with other people because you're losing that part of communication, and everything is so, like, hinged on making sure that you hear something right or, like, understanding like what someone's saying through their words rather than their tone or it goes really easily into like reading into their tone too much to where it's like psychoanalyzing like everything they say and so I can kind of understand that as well and I think that's such a weird thing because like whenever you're thinking about like your body language being altered like as it goes through the machine or your voice being altered like to remove tone in in general Mm -hmm. um to where it's like in its most efficient form and it's just words like I can kind of see how like just how difficult that is to navigate. Mm-hmm. 
and how it kind of denies a lot of like human nature with communication. That's a super good point. Thank you. I don't know what I just said. (laughs) It's an out-of-body experience. There's one day. The the machinery that just spoke through me. (laughs) Um, Just one little subtle point that I want to touch on before we move on to our next topic is Bashi and Kuno still have a relationship, which I think is important, even though it's not like a great of a relationship compared to Vashti's other children, which we assume that there's more than a few, like that is the relationship. She has a favorite, which probably breaks the machine's rule. Mm-hmm. And so Vashti kind of has some motherly instincts kicked in. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just internal and something that the machine couldn't change. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And do you think that her kind of going against the machine in this very small way of like still seeing Kuno mm-hmm. do you think that influenced him to kind of go against the machine in a larger way I think so because I think that gave him a little bit of hope because as far as we know Kuno doesn't have any friends he's in trouble with the law like the one girl he's like wow there's a beautiful girl she gets you know <laughs> homeless <laughs> the sabo <laughs> um so yeah yeah, I think Vashi has little moments of rebellion throughout because she, and that's because of her relationship with Kuno. And if he wasn't there, she would have been not as unsettled as she was. She wouldn't have wondered about the machine mm-hmm. not being what it said. Because there are moments where she thinks about their conversations or gets like broken up about how things went with Kuno. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of things that broke up, uh, <laughs> Vashi and Kuno's relationship is Kuno going to Earth. <laughs> that was such a traumatic and weird part of the story for me. <laughs> it's like, like, it kind of takes a little diversion to just like Kuno in space, Kuno on Earth, Kuno doing things in space and Earth. <laughs> <laughs> that was a beautiful song. Thank you. You should record it. <laughs> you can follow. <laughs> you can go find my EP in the description of this. <laughs> So we talked about Kuno building up strength earlier, right? And how he was like walking around and holding his pillow out and, you know. Getting built. Yeah, (laughs) getting thick. (laughs) So he started exploring a little bit more. He just had a desire to find something different to kind of give his life a little bit more meaning. And like, that's a big no-no. They don't like that at the machine, but he's like, I'm just going to keep finding things. So then he found an air vent kind of crawled through that he was crawling in the dark and that's when it goes into this like really spiritual type part of the story where there's like there's ghosts and there's ancestors and there's people reaching out to me and I feel them touching me and blah 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 blah. and he's talking about just how he wishes he was naked and in that moment with those people he wanted to be close to them and relate to them and I wondered if that was like either him hearing voices through the air vents of the other residents and wanting a connection. I was wondering if that was like maybe actual ghosts and ancestors, which would be a weird turn for the book mm-hmm. just because that's not mentioned anywhere else. I definitely read it as like the souls of the homeless, like the people who have been killed by the machine and by the rules of the committee and just like them existing on earth mm-hmm. and like reaching out to like this only form of life that they've seen in a hot minute. Who's like susceptible to them, you know? Or, like, who isn't just there for, like, tactical reasons of, like, doing research on Earth or, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I like that theory. All I know is if this came into a workshop, 
People would tear <laughs> the shit out of it. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> Ian Forrester. <laughs> yeah, Ian Forrester. <laughs> you Do did. you take critiques? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But, you know, I also took this as maybe him trying to hear his thoughts for the first time as well. Whoa. Yeah, and his desire to want to be naked is actually going to lead into my theory in a moment. So, (laughs) Kuno's climbing everywhere, and then he, like, finds a a stopper, and he, like, there's a voice in his head that's like, leap, and if you fall, then that's fine. It's better than what you've been doing and how you've been living. And if you leap and catch it, that's great. And then he did, he caught it, he opened it and he had an air, sorry, I forgot to mention, he had an air respirator on (laughs) so he could breathe. Um, So he got out and he went multiple times. I'm combining all the stories just just to save time. (laughs) So he went out and it was like very bloody and very loud and very bright and very traumatic. And he went from the dark to the light. And you know what? I think that this was, kind of a symbolism of a birth definitely like into nature that's the most natural thing that people believe is birth Mm -hmm. so that goes into the nakedness too yeah thank you let's come back to that (laughs) your most natural form is being naked and And spiteful (laughs) (laughs) nakedness and spite (laughs) we love to see it And so then, you know, he explores a little bit. He talks about the history. He thinks that he sees someone and he sees this girl and he feels a worm wrapping around his leg and he sees a worm wrapping around her as well. And the worm actually stabs the girl and kills her instantly, but jacks Kuno back into the machine. And I'm wondering if the girl was someone that escaped from the machine or if it was someone that already lived on the outside. Because he assumed that there were people living up there already and he wanted to be with them. So this is actually the first time that we've seen the machine as an aggressor instead of as just a structure, just Mm -hmm. as an idea. Interesting. It's the only time too. Mm -hmm. Segway. (laughs) I was kind of confused about this part. So that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I mean, and that's just my interpretation and that's what we've discussed in class. I'm not really sure what Forster was doing with this part, but it's important to note, I think. Mm -hmm. To segue from there, I want to kind of just directly address something that we've kind of been hinting at throughout the episode so far, and that's the topic of original thought. So this is a really big thing in the world of the machine because it's something that's like avidly discouraged through their society and I think it's also cool that um, Boschi's job is a quote-unquote advanced thinker so that means she's a professor in a sort but she kind of teaches in 10-minute segments and lectures and so it's like an entire lecture is compressed into 10 minutes so it's kind of like a how-to more than an actual experience of like learning and understanding and growing because like I can't imagine if my lectures are for 10 minutes yeah I mean you miss out on a lot of information from that because mm-hmm. I think whenever you have these 15-minute lectures, people are like, oh my God, it's taking so long. But you need things to repeat, you need things to process, and you need to see how things lead up to one another because that keeps you engaged and interested. And some people are like, just give me the information because that's more practical. Mm-hmm. But for learning purposes, not as much. 
those people would love machine because that's all they're into is <laughs> giving the answers and efficiency. <laughs> Literally every non-English major in the English classes right now, just like, <laughs> I don't care. What do I need to know for the test? <laughs> Whoa, they're learning for a test. That's basically Ooh. it. Oop. The Ooh. test is life. Yep, it's the star exam. <laughs> <laughs> or the tax test, if you were. <laughs> if you want to throw back. <laughs> And if you live in Texas, <laughs> not applicable anywhere else. <laughs> but yeah, I think that kind of fits with the machine's motif of like making things the most efficient they can be mm-hmm. in like giving you just like the bullet point version of information rather than the full experience of learning. Because yeah, it, it, that's kind of their thing too with the manuals and with the book. Like instead of having you experience these things of like, what do you do if you get too hot or what do you do if you get too cold? Um, it's more so just answering questions. Mm-hmm. Well, also to add to that, I think they do that also because they don't want them to have any passions. Ooh. Like they can have things that they're interested in, but if you're passionate about something, you really dig deep. Mm-hmm. And I think that Boschi kind of has a passion for talking about the Mongols and the Brisbane school in Australia. And we see a little bit of hint of that whenever she gets excited about talking to the air hostess, like for that very short conversation. Mm-hmm. And then it leads to that very culty moment, oh, hail the machine. <laughs> but that could be something, some reason why, maybe. Yeah. It does seem that she cares about this because like in the moments that she does speak about it, she feels like, it feels like she does enjoy what she does, mm-hmm. which maybe something that goes against what the machine wants. Like maybe they're purely like utilitarianism ideology it's just like do what's good that helps the machine and nothing else mm-hmm. maybe she's a cog in the machine who knows well just another brick in the, the wall, wall. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need no, no education, education. <laughs> moving on part two of us insulting our audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine we're not gonna be teachers when we grow older <laughs> That's not the goal. This will never go back to haunt us. (laughs) Future employers. (laughs) Yes. What is a machinery? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Original thought is something that's very discouraged in the world of the machine. And something that Em mentioned is it's sort of like a game of telephone. Do you want to go into that? Yeah. So the first time we see this like original idea thing is someone sitting up Vashi be like, hey, have you heard any ideas lately? And Vashi tells the air quote original idea of the constellation that Kuno was talking about, which I, I guess you could, could consider that original because like he never learned about it before. And he's like, oh, it looks like a man and the shoulders and the belt. And they kind of pass it on. And usually it might get changed a little bit or not be as detailed. So that would be an example. And they start doing this with their histories and their religions and everything else. And everything's kind of like shared through a network of your friends, either through the telephone or like Facebook, which I think is kind of a reflection of our society now where they'll like read a headliner and they'll only take one part of it. And you know, you know how it be. So it's an adult game of telephone. They're like, I'm going to take the parts that I remember or the parts that I like and then retell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of how their history is retold. Like just through this idea of like sharing information and not creating anything new. 
because in a way like their history is kind of just the machine like if you think about Vashti's life I don't think that anything really happened in the machine until it stopped you know yeah that's worth history Mm -hmm. um so I wanted to read a quote about how history relates to the machine firsthand ideas do not really exist they are but the physical impressions produced by love and fear and on this gross foundation we could erect a philosophy let your ideas be secondhand, and if possible, tenth hand, for then they will be far removed from the disturbing element, direct observation. AKA individualization. <laughs> I forgot the word for like a split second. <laughs> you did so good. It's fine. Yeah. And this is kind of how they get their information is just like from what's happened before, you know, like it's just like you said, a game of telephone. Yeah. And they specifically talked about this when discussing wars because they wanted to remove those unpleasant parts so basically things are getting filtered to where you get a half truth Mm -hmm. and they were okay with that because it wasn't unpleasant Mm -hmm. and for the future reading another quote there will come a generation that had got beyond facts beyond impressions a generation absolutely colorless a generation seraphically free from taint of personality so and it's weird to read that quote because you're like, yeah, I want an unbiased take on this. But you know, sometimes you have to have those unpleasant parts mentioned in getting facts to elaborate on the realness and not be as passive. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's part of just the way history works is like you have to have the real parts because, you know, history beats itself. And, you know, while the machine kind of doesn't allow it to because there's no sense of autonomy, it's still just something that's important to understand to get the context of history itself. Yeah, and I think an example would be, um, I'm just gonna do a small example. Like Burger King gave out bad burgers in 1978 that they had to recall. That'd be an example of like a fact removed from emotion and personality and from detail Mm -hmm. where the real story, by the way, to clarify, this never happened. This is just an example. <laughs> Burger King, don't come for us. <laughs> in 1978, King Burger gave out burgers with E. coli and it killed five people and they had to recall on their meat. Mm-hmm. That would be an important, more detailed and true example. For sure. And just to clarify again, Burger King did no such thing. It's just use it as an example. <laughs> Do not come at me. So I just wanted to mention one more thing on the topic of original thought, and that is just kind of a discussion of how original thought plays out today and how sometimes there is like a repetition of thought in works of media and literature, but I think that that's okay because there's different interpretations. Um, I remember one time a while back, we were talking about like tropes in media and tropes in like TV shows and movies and books and things like that, where sort of the same things occur but it's done in a different way. So it doesn't feel like it's the same thing. And I think that in some ways, like having repeating thoughts aren't always bad as long as like whenever it comes to history or news or things that are like more relevant to the way that people live, I think that's when it becomes more important to recognize like the facts of life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, like in a lot of like, in fan fiction there's always like (laughs) like meat cues that are at bookstores and like it's done in different ways each time sometimes Mm -hmm. so it's not always bad 
And I just felt like that was important to say because sometimes there are repeating thoughts. Like, and like, even in music, like sometimes it's hard to make like original, like sounds that haven't been like sampled or like, you know, used in some extent before. And in literature, sometimes it's hard to make like ideas that haven't like, you know, never been seen in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Because even like some really popular works of literature, like the Hungry Games, for instance, references a lot to like, Greek mythology and to, you know, that kind of thing. So in a lot of ways, original thought can be a little more difficult to come by, but that doesn't mean that those repeating thoughts are any less valuable. Yeah, you know, I think that the machine stops a similar structure, like focusing on spatial identity and focusing on relationships is mirrored in this book that I just read called High Rise by J.G. Ballard, which I hope that we will get to talk about eventually on the show. And, you know, I love some same tropes over and over again. Like, do not get me started on young adult novels and young adult (laughs) movies. Like, to all the boys I've loved, love it. Let's, Let's date and fall in love by accident. Absolutely. I love uh, the fake dating setup. That's key love for it. me. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I really like the movie after. <laughs> Let me lie to you and we're going to have a great relationship and we fall in love. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, but also like we see these shows repeated in horror movies and yeah, you know, they usually have like little individual changes, but the plot's usually the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's okay because it's done in a different way each time. The details are what makes it. Exactly. Like and that's with everything. Yes, definitely. Like in horror movies, like people have been beheaded more than once in a horror movie, but it's done differently each time. So it's not like. <laughs> of course, you found a way to insert hereditary. <laughs> of course. Sometimes it's with an. Knife. There were two beheadings. Sometimes it's with a wire in an attic. <laughs> and sometimes it's with a phone pole. <laughs> God. Anyway, this has been your daily hereditary mention for me. Speaking of things falling <laughs> apart, <laughs> uh, let's move on to kind of the machine stopping officially. This happens in the last, obviously the last chapter, but the last like two to four pages. And it started falling apart whenever it became more restricted. And this is also whenever like their artificial fruit was bad. The water was smelly. Things weren't really coming out whenever they were supposed to. And eventually the music sounds bad. There is like, people couldn't get in contact with anybody. So like things are breaking down obviously and there's a smell. And then eventually what really sets it off is the humming stops. Cause there's been a constant hum this entire time. Mm-hmm. And then whenever there's silence and they're alone with their thoughts and then it starts going dark. That's whenever things just like, Mm-hmm. turn on a dime um so i'm gonna go ahead and read one of those quotes from the story that reflect that moment time passed and they resented the defects no longer the jarring noise whether in the head or in the wall was no longer resented by Vashti's friend and so with the moldy artificial fruit so with the bath water that began to sink so with the defective rhymes that the poetry machine had taken to emit all were bitterly complained of at first and then acquiesced in and forgotten. Things went from bad to worse unchallenged. It was otherwise with the failure of the sleeping apparatus. That was a more serious stoppage. There came a day when over the whole world, 
and Sumatra in Wessex, and the innumerable cities of Coraline and Brazil, the beds when summoned by their tired owners fail to appear. And may seem a ludicrous matter, but from it, we date the collapse of humanity. So that's like a basic need. <laughs> yeah, sleep and it's like, if I'm fed and watered <laughs> and slept, <laughs> I'm, I'm chill, I can survive if any of those things go even a little bit out of if you take me camping and we're sleeping <laughs> on a rock or we're at Renfest and the parties go until 6 a.m and I don't get sleep I'm pretty bummed out the next day I'm a little cranky not the best to be with very mean uh fun story <laughs> I was very cranky on our way back from Renfest last year and this person threw an ice cream outside of their car window and littered <laughs> When I tell you, I was holding back so much from throwing it back inside their window. You got out of the car though. And I did. And picked it up and stared at them while you did. I was, I was so passive aggressive and I was like, man, I really don't want to have to drag Joey into a fight. Cause it was a man. And I was like, I can, you could I can, him. I could yell at him, but I would also be crying. <laughs> As a spectator to this event, I could see it just being like the the one thing that tipped you over the edge. And it's like, how, for one, you're throwing out great ice cream, but for two, you're littering and you're being a douche to the state of Texas. Like, I was so upset. I was so upset. I should have thrown it. You know, I go back to that moment sometimes, and I'm like, why didn't I throw it into the bed of this man's truck? And I. Also, another thing that held me back is like, is it illegal? I don't know if it's illegal. I mean, what he did was I mean, illegal. Littering is illegal. <laughs> I know, but I was like, this retaliating. <laughs> Would I get more in trouble than this man that littered? <laughs> so that that's was, how that went. That was your machine stopping. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's the silence. Yeah, there's <laughs> the breaking down. <laughs> Remember all the tubes falling out of the ceiling. <laughs> That was awful. <laughs> oh man. It and it felt very to me, it felt like kind of normal. Like it seemed like something that would feasibly happen in our world. Like, man, things break sometimes. Yeah, but there was no active fixing because people would call mm -hmm. and the committee's like, we'll get on it. And then they never do. And then they just kind of like took it <laughs> because they didn't know how to have original thought. They didn't know how to have passion or how to revolt or how to be agitated. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, but sleeping, like you can't disrupt that. Yeah. Cause that's whenever you become a more unfiltered self and you're more easily persuaded to like act out. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have that personal filter anymore. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. And then that in combination with the silence, I think is a big thing that kind of just ends the machine, like makes the machine like fully recognize something that's like broken and not going to get fixed. Yeah, I've heard of a room somewhere where it's like the quietest room in the world. Ugh. And like you can hear your blood rushing and stuff Ugh, and people like go that. like insane. Again, this is something <laughs> I read off Facebook. So it may or may not be true, but I can imagine like, having this ringing in your ears the, your entire life and that like just being the norm and then automatically it's gone and you're like something's wrong this isn't okay oh man dude so <laughs> I watched this movie called The Sound of Metal and it kind of talks about a death metal drummer 
who goes deaf and so it displays that really well anyways that's all <laughs> the sound of metal it was nominated for a bunch of stuff it's very good anyways <laughs> um but yeah to kind of elaborate on that some as well I wanted to relate this to infrastructure today and I was talking to Emily about this and I feel like this is a story that gets more and more relevant with time and it kind of has like that George Orwell appeal to it like in 1984 Animal Farm like things kind of reappear because it's like an attack on or it's an addressal of human nature and how it interacts with like higher structures and how we kind of see these patterns and I think that this is once again just a story that's very relevant to today and I see that like an infrastructure because it's something that we're kind of dealing with now where we've built a lot of things in the past and they're kind of falling apart now because it's just time and we have to like find a way to fix those and we kind of like we can't wait till it's already broken to exactly. fix it and I want to reference the storm in Texas like a few months ago where like our heating just like pieced out and our electricity <laughs> mean yeah not yeah our electricity just kind of pieced out for a while and it was catastrophic for a lot of people and a lot of people had serious damage to their home a lot of people died because of it and yeah it was really impactful mm-hmm. and in that way it's like these things that have always been there that we really depend on are really just kind of like at the hands of the machine or like at the hands of us having faith that they'll keep working yeah and whenever infrastructure breaks down like I can remember luckily you and I were safe and we were able to like post bed hotel because it was quick thinking and Mm -hmm. we found somewhere like people just kind of did whatever they kind of abandoned like picking up their dog poop was something like whenever all the snow melted all the dog poop was like on the grounds Mm -hmm. there were people being rude there were people leaving trash out like they didn't care Mm -hmm. they're like my basic needs aren't being met so I'm just gonna do what I want Mm-hmm. so and this is also something we're going to explore in high rise whenever we go over it I'm so excited <laughs> it's so great anyway yeah but anyways I just wanted to say that's something that's like really impactful for today because we're looking at like how our current infrastructure in the United States at least is kind of deteriorating in a lot of ways and it's sort of a time we need to fix these because they're not gonna it's not something we can really put off because mm-hmm. if we put it off then it's going to be unfixable and that's why I have a big issue with that quote. Don't fix it if it's not broken. It is no. broken. <laughs> Update it. <laughs> Update it. Ensure that it's going to work in the future. Like, I love vintage stuff. And some vintage stuff can definitely last the test of time. But, but when, it, when, <laughs> when it's like... <laughs> when it's like racism or the power grid, <laughs> we need to like, you know, update our standards. <laughs> it's fine. It's broken. <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> I'm not thinking about anything in particular. It's whatever. Anyways, don't be a victim of the machine. <laughs> Support infrastructure Wait. being rebuilt. <laughs> Wait, okay. I do want to do one closing quote before we go into our ratings and everything else. So this is a quote from Kuno criticizing the residents. We created the machine to do our will, but we cannot make it do our will now. It has robbed us of the sense of space and of the sense of touch. It has blurred every human relation and narrowed down love to a carnal act. It has paralyzed our bodies and our wills, and now it compels us to worship it. The machine develops, but not to our lines. The machine proceeds, but not to our goal. So 
I'm gonna let y'all simmer on that quote a little bit relate it to whatever you want <laughs> um so Allie on a scale of one to five original thoughts <laughs> what would you rate the story <laughs> I would rate it a four I feel like yeah. I've, I've been getting more afraid of like things lately <laughs> and I feel like I've been reading four a couple times but... this podcast is going to be your descent into madness um <laughs> you know, yellow wallpaper and such. I'm actually just gonna <laughs> get trapped in the wall. <laughs> I'm gonna become Boshti and isolate and cry every day. Anyways, you love that. Um, <laughs> I would read it a four because like I said before, it has this like Orwellian kind of outlook mm-hmm. where it's very relevant to today. And I feel like a lot of things in today's society are kind of based upon us being dependent to a bigger structure. And it's things we really can't help like there, like there's always discussions like going off the grid and just like living in the mountains and it'll be fine. But it's like it's a lot more difficult to live that way. And the way that you know the world is kind of set up, it's sort of made for us to build off of each other and help each other out. And I don't know. I always kind of fear like one day that just kind of being taken away. And that's something I think we kind of talked about in our episode about uh to live in the zombie apocalypse like one day things just not mattering that i love and care about yeah so. and anyways <laughs> m on a scale of one to five worms what would you rate this machine worms machine worms <laughs> uh, i would probably label it a 4.5 and it would be a five however there's that very heartwarming moment between Dash and Kuno where they're finally like yes I mean I was rooting for them to have a great relationship the entire time it's fine but I would say 4.5 just because we are so dependent on systems and bigger governments and other individuals to take care of us and I think we kind of see a reflection in this story but also in real life that people don't care like Mm -hmm. They're not obligated to care. And you shouldn't be obligated to do anything, but you should, you know, do it anyway. Mm-hmm. But that's just my personal opinion. I freak out. I worry that there's going to be a time where if I needed a helping hand, people would not help me, mm-hmm. which of course help yourself. But, you know, that's not always possible. And I don't know, just like we talked about the, the power grid failing and that was a really awful time. <laughs> being for one being isolated in that hotel room and being isolated in that hotel period mm-hmm. and then also knowing <laughs> the bird like, food <laughs> like also knowing if we hadn't like acted in time we would have been stuck in cold apartments and we were very privileged in that we yeah. were very privileged in that moment mm-hmm. and a lot of people weren't and a lot of people had like serious damage to their houses and apartments and you know it affected yeah. their ability to live and yeah and i don't think like the government did little things but who's really taking accountability for it right besides one person leaving or getting fired from (laughs) airpod so yeah no scary thoughts yeah and i bet you we're still gonna vote greg abbott in because we're gonna forget fuck greg abbott (laughs) i can't emphasize this enough anyway this man is the bane of my existence anyways and that's that on that (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for listening. Um, If you would like to 
follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at books are scary. And if you have any comments, would like to suggest a story for us to cover, or would just like to say hi, because we like getting emails, you can email us at booksarescary at gmail.com. And be sure to share this with your friends and family. You should also totally leave us a review because that's fun and fresh. And please and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, please follow us. That would be fun. Um, we've gotten some regular listeners that I'm pretty excited about. We super appreciate y'all. Shout out to Emily's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Her third shout out of the episode. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you all for listening. Our next story will be over a poem and it's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel L. Coleridge. And remember, the machine is scary. But being gaslit by your mom is horrible. (laughs) Bye. Bye.